Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about a business catchphrase, Jim Carrey, chili cheese fries from the hat, painting and a bougainvillea, a 2006 worship conference and storage units, okay? As I've been going through this series, there have been a number of things that have really uh, made me think, have captured my attention and made me look a little harder at myself and how I'm living. And and I'm hoping that it does that for you as well. In my uh, business as a dog trainer, I have on my website a catchphrase, dog training for real life, right? That's kind of how I I spill it out there, right? And, And Hopefully it works, right, Brian? Hopefully it works in real life. Uh, Jasper has been under the influence of my training. And so hopefully the dog training for real life is something that people take home and they say, hey, this really works in my life. Well, this is really about a faith for real life. And that's what we're trying to do is have an understanding of how our faith works in real life. And Through this series that we've seen, it requires our participation, it requires our dedication, it requires our sacrifice, giving of ourselves. And our understanding in Scripture is that the kingdom of God is focused on people, not on wealth, not on strength or prosperity, That it really is about people. I've said this before that the majority of what Paul talks about through all his epistles is unity. He talks about unity of the believers more than he talks about sanctification or justification combined. It's so important that you guys are together. Now, unity does not mean that you all agree, but it means that you are still together. You see, it's possible to disagree with someone and to be in unity with them. Ask my wife, right? We do not agree on everything, but we are together through it all. And those disagreements move us into some deeper conversations and actually a deeper relationship. 
And so that is what I believe God is doing. He's wanting us to have a deeper understanding so that we can live a faith in the real world. I have a question to ask you guys. The question is, do you consider yourself to be overly consumeristic and individualistic in your current lifestyle? This is for you to ask yourself. That's not the question. Where is the question? I had it here. Nope. There. Oh, well, that's the question. Man, I'm giving everything away right now. Okay. <laughs> Just going. So the question, let me ask it again. It's probably in there somewhere. I should have. Do you consider yourself to be overly consumeristic and individualistic in your current lifestyle? How should we, as a caring church community, think and act in our local setting? That's really what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to start in Mark chapter 4. You can open up there. And it's the parable of the sower, right? Or the farmer who is planting, however you want to phrase it. And in this parable, we're not going to go through the whole thing for time's sake, but Jesus gives us this illustration about this farmer who's planting seeds and there's different kind of soil that he comes across. He comes across a footpath, right? Or a place where people walk on and the seed gets just stepped on and then it's not good for anything. There is the the stony ground or gravel where the birds come and they take it and it has no root. It can't flourish into anything. There is the weeds or the thorns and then there is the good soil. It's important to understand that as Jesus is talking about this parable in verse 13, he says to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand everything? Any parable, in other words, this parable is kind of a key to parables in general because they are about something. And if we miss what they're about, we'll have a lack of understanding in all of them. And so in Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 20, or 18 to 20, Jesus says, still others, he's explaining this to the disciples, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. A question that we need to ask is, what is meant by the word? who receive the word, who hear the word and accept it, what does he mean when he talks about the word? We don't have to speculate. In verse 11, he tells us that this is about the secret of the kingdom of God. It's been given to you. The idea of the word is the idea of the kingdom of God. And this really is the gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Okay? Gospel, good news. The kingdom of God has come at hand. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what the parable, this is what the parables are talking about. The kingdom of heaven is like. He's trying to give us an understanding of what God's kingdom is looking like. 
And here he gives us some very poignant illustrations so that we can understand maybe some pitfalls, some problems. As he lists these seeds and where they fall, the word of God, the kingdom of God, the good news of God falling on the hearts of men. And in these verses, he gives us a couple of things that we need to be careful of. One is the deceitfulness of wealth and then the desires for other things. Question, how can wealth deceive us? And is desire for anything other than the kingdom wrong? I think we allow things or our desire for things to fill places in our lives at times that really God is supposed to fill. And when we allow other things to take that place and fill our lives, our lives' purpose, then there is a problem. And this is what idolatry is, by the way, right? Idolatry isn't worshiping a statue. It is allowing something to take place in your life that was meant for God. And that's the problem. And when the Israelites hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's not just talking about singularity. It's talking about over it all. He is God. He is the one. It is the umbrella that we are all under. Your life, my life, the creation is under the one. And if we don't, allow the one to have the place he deserves in our lives, it's idolatry and it's a problem and it can cause issues within us. It can strangle the kingdom mentality out of us. And so the deception of wealth. Jim Carrey, the prophet said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. It's nice to hear that from someone who has fame and has maybe all the things that he dreamed of, apparently, right? To see that it's not the answer. To have that understanding that you will not find the purpose of your life in wealth. And you might say, oh, I know that. But then the question is, what are you living for? What is occupying the majority of your time? What is the majority of your energy focused on? Where do you get your value from? Is it from your job? Is it from your status? Is it all about working so you can get ahead? Even as I've shared before, I've had to just kind of take stock of my life and say, you know, I have missed so much because I'm so caught up on working because I got to work. We all have to work. But then there's times where I don't have to work as much as I do. Right? Yesterday, I got to spend the day with my wife and my grandson, Milo, which is always fun, you know, because he's a baby. He doesn't cause any problems right now. (laughs) And get to enjoy him, right? But it's important to be able to go and do that instead of, again, Saturdays are my big training days. That's where I can get two lessons in. That's where I can bring in the bank, right? That's where I can make a lot of money. But sometimes it's good to take that time off because he's not always going to be this small. He's always going to be cute. He's just a cute kid. But 
I, I won't have this time. And so making that time to be with him. You see, but this mentality of having to get and, and pursuing, it, it consumes us in the United States. It consumes us in the Western world. You know, the United States has about 4% of the world's population, but uses over 30% of the world's opiates. Now, there's a saying out there that it was 80%, but that's not true. It's 30%, which is still a lot. How can the most affluent, most successful and powerful nation in the world be so medicated? Something's not working, right? It's trying to fill something and then needing something because it's not working. Right? Yesterday, we were driving out, and I hadn't had my coffee in the morning, and I had a headache because I get headaches when I don't drink coffee. And so, two choices. Stop drinking coffee and get headaches or drink coffee. No, it's you drink coffee. I know I could get over it, but I'm not going to. So... There's a symptom that happens because of what's going on. I'm not drinking coffee. I get a headache. There's a symptom to our lives. Use of drugs, over an abuse of alcohol. These things are symptoms of what's going on because we are consuming, thinking it will satisfy something, and it doesn't. And so we need something to help us deal with the fact that we are still in pain. And we think that our purpose in life is our own personal comfort. And we try to find contentment in consuming. But it's never enough. My happiness or fulfillment is all connected to things that I can obtain. And then I need something to help me when that doesn't work. And we find ourselves in that place. When I used to paint houses... There was a time when I had to paint this house, and it was a two-story house, and it had this giant bougainvillea going up the house, and I had to paint behind the bougainvillea on the house. You guys know what a bougainvillea is? It's a death trap, right? I mean, it's got these thorns on it, and it's just nasty. And I'm there, and my clothes are getting caught up on the thing, and I'm like stuck in there, and I'm trying to paint in between this little gap that's about this big, and I have to get in there, and I'm putting you know these drop cloths there to stop it, and the thorns are still coming through. And I find myself just getting caught up in this thing as I'm trying to do something. And what happens is wealth starts snagging onto us. It starts catching us, and pretty soon we start going on this treadmill of trying to get, trying to get, trying to get, living for, finding purpose in, and we're getting snagged and we're getting caught up in the thorns of wealth and the deception that is there. And if we're not careful, man, it'll scar you. It'll leave, it'll take years of your life and leave you wanting those years back. And there's a deception there. You know, we can spend hours and hours in Bible study and activity with no appreciation or appreciable fruit that comes from it. In other words, we are learning, we are learning, but we are still living in a consumer mentality because our entanglement with these desires to get choke out not only our ability to live on mission, 
but also our imagination of what we could possibly do if we really cared about these things more. And kind of like AA, where the way you get over it is admit you're in it, right? When you go to AA program, they say, hi, my name is Sam, and I'm an alcoholic. And you think, wow, that's kind of brutal. Well, the only way to get over the problem is to face the problem, to address it. And I think in our Christian world, sometimes the only way to get past the consumer mentality that engulfs Christianity in the West is to step in and say, you know what? We are pretty consumeristic. Hi, I am a follower of Jesus, and I'm all about the stuff. Sometimes that's hard to say because of how it makes me feel about myself. The reality of it is harsh sometimes, but it's true. It's how we have to see things in many times and in many cases. Our true identity as citizens of the kingdom of God become faded because our identity in this world is so strong and we're so ensnared by it. And this is why I think there hasn't been more influence in our culture because there is not the divide from the culture in this consumeristic way. And it's hard for us to even conceive sometimes of a kingdom life in terms of risk in terms of time, in, con- in terms of finances, in terms of energy. And John warns us about that. He tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, don't love the world's ways, don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. I love this. It's the message translation. Right? Again, your life is yours and you're going to get all you can. I want the status. I want the stuff, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All these things are not from God. They're from this world. But isn't that what we're being sold? You got to get the stuff. You have to have the status. You know, it's so funny. In some of the places where I train, they're very affluent. You know, and you see the cars that are coming through and it's a Bentley and it's a Ferrari and it's a Maserati and there's the Porsche, poor person, right? And here I come with my Toyota, you know, and you can tell the people who work for the people who live there, right? Because of our cars. Some of these cars cost more than my house. Now, it's a beautiful car. I would love to have that car, right? There's nothing wrong with the car, but if my life is about the status, it's about getting that car, it's about proving my worth, then where's the kingdom in my mentality and in my focus, right? It's important that we recognize these things and we move forward in this way. The essence of the church 
is to admit a fragrance of the kingdom. It is to help people want what God has to offer, to be a a living and authentic representation of who God is. And again, I have to ask myself, is that happening in me? Am I an authentic representation or am I a watered down version because my life is halfway over here and then halfway over here and I go back and forth, but there isn't a full commitment to what God wants because we don't have so much as a, a social strategy as a church. We are the social strategy. Right? We are God's agenda for the world so that people can see the followers of Jesus and know the direction they're living in clearly because of how we give of ourselves, our time, our energy, our finances. It all points to this kingdom mentality where people see us and they know this is what we are about. And it's been my experience with people in desperate situations that the only way they get out is with someone's help, an advocate. That if there is a person who is addicted to drugs, the way they get out is when someone comes alongside them and helps them through that. When a person is in financial detriment, what helps them is when someone comes alongside them and helps them to maybe do their finances and work with them and hold them accountable to how they spend the money. And then they get out of these things. People who are homeless and in dire situations, they need an advocate to come alongside. It's not enough to throw money at them. It's not enough to tell them, hey, go here. Usually it takes someone holding their hand. Hey, let's go to court and let's get those violations cleared up. Okay, let's now get you into a place where you can get into a work program. Okay, let's get you off the alcohol. Let's get you into these things. And it takes time and it takes effort for people to step into the lives of people, right? It's not an easy thing. And you guys know this if you have people who are difficult. You can tell them the right thing to do. Hey, you should do this or you should stop doing that. There, I'm done. It's all good, right? Does it work? Has that ever worked for anybody? If it does, let me know. I'm going to have you go talk to a few people, right? It's like, hey, go talk to this guy because he's struggling. Here's what you need to do. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of energy. Sometimes it takes a lot of money. But what it does take is you to be involved. And that's what we read in the New Testament, but Sadly, loving one another, sharing with others, and substantially caring for the poor aren't prevalent in modern Christianity. And how can I open my home to a single mom and her two toddlers? I know she needs a place, and I know I have extra room, but it's just not practical at this time. In 2006, I went to a worship conference, and it was great. I mean, all the big names were there. 
uh, Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman, Lincoln Brewster, uh, you name it. Uh, they were just all there. It was just an incredible conference. And the last night they had a concert that was put on by Jars of Clay. And the lead singer, Dan Hasseltine from Jars of Clay, at the end, he stopped in the middle of the set and he just really confronted all these worshipers, right? Because there was a bunch of worship leaders there. And he goes, you know how much money the worship industry is making right now? And it was. Probably still is. And he says, what are we doing with what we are getting to help those who are in need? And he just laid out the gauntlet there. And he just rained on my parade, right? I was, I was at a worship conference like, yay, Jesus, what? Right? It's kind of like, what are you talking about? And, and I remember just everyone was kind of like confronted with the fact that, you know what? This isn't just about you and God. It never was. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and prophets. Not on the one. It's not just you and God. It's you, God, and everybody around you. It's got to be that way. Otherwise, how do people know you are his disciple except that you love one another? And it's so important that we have this understanding and embrace this. Individualism and our desire for comfort and privacy choke out the kingdom and our missional imagination along with it. It nullifies our effectiveness. In Acts 2, verses 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Wow. Now, it doesn't say everything went well. It doesn't mean it doesn't need improvement. But this was the mindset. Where did they get this mindset from? From Jesus, from his disciples. Your need, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Let's take care of it. Think about this. Two generations ago, it was not uncommon to have a family with five children living in a two-bedroom house, right? House under 1,500 square feet, seven people living in it. Anyone know families like that, right? It wasn't uncommon. Today, houses are bigger, families are smaller. Today, the mentality is we have to have a room for each of our children, Now, think of what that does, the pressure of having a room for each of your children. Think of how much more money you need to be able to afford a room for each of your kids. We have four kids. We would need a five-bedroom house because we want our room, right? And because of this mentality, how much more money is having to be spent to afford these bigger places so that we could have that lifestyle. And now, what about the family that could be helped out, the family that is in need, that single mom who can't make ends meet and is trying to get a foot up? Well, I I would have you live in our house, but all the rooms are full. We think, well, I can't have five people living at my house. (laughs) I thought that once too. 
But you can. And it's not easy. But sometimes it's not about easy. It's about right. And sometimes right is hard. Right? Sometimes right is difficult. But it's still right. And sometimes we have to bite that bullet and say, you know what? My comfort isn't as important as the kingdom of God. And right now the kingdom of God is pressing on my doorstep and I have the ability to step into it. Will I? Or will I find a way to maintain my comfort and still do what I feel is enough? You know, if we had the choice to save our pets or a homeless man, the majority of people in America would save their pets over a person who was created in God's image. Most people, even Christians, spend more time and effort and money on their pets than they do worrying about children who don't have education and are going to bed hungry. Again, I'm not saying this to condemn you and stop feeding your pets, right? I'm a dog trainer, for goodness sake. You got you to gotta feed the animals, right? But do you see where our focus is? See, the pet that I love that I won't sacrifice for a person I don't know, it's not because I love my pet. It's because what they provide for me. Really what it is is I love me and I want my pet to fill something in my life which is again moving into idolatry we're seeing things in that way and I'm not trying to make us feel guilty I I just want us to be aware of how we think I want us to have a conversation with ourselves and with God and allow him to speak and maybe chisel away some things maybe bite into some things maybe push us forward into areas. And that's why I look forward to having these discussions on midweek where we can chew through some of these things because I like pushback. I really do. I'm not here to tell you all what to do. I'm bringing these things up and and I want it to be a, a dialogue, a dialogue that we can have and a dialogue that you can have with God. Say, God, am I being consumeristic. God, am I living just for my comfort? God, is the kingdom of heaven at the focus of my thoughts in life? Can people see the direction of my life by how I'm living? You know, a clear sign of how consumeristic we've become is the storage unit industry. And I believe there is a conspiracy between storage units and in-home treadmills. Right? Because I think in every storage room there is someone's treadmill that they once had in their house. Right? Storage unit business in the United States is a $23 billion industry. $23 billion so that it can hold our extra 
stuff. I know a lot of us are thinking, I need to get into that business, right? (laughs) Storage units industry makes more money than the entire entertainment industry. Storage units. When I used to do painting, we did some painting for a storage unit complex. And a lot of times they'd go in there and they would have to clean out everyone's old junk that they didn't pay for. And you would see the stuff and it's junk. I mean, it's really junk. It's a broken lamp. It's not even a good lamp. It's a broken lamp, but we got to put it away somewhere. And we got to pay for it. All those billions of dollars. Again, a kingdom mentality. I don't need all the stuff. I want to see God's work show up in the world around me. I'm thankful for the wealth that I have. I'm thankful for people who are wealthy and generous. I have benefited from people's generosity who have more than me. And I know a lot of people who are wealthy who have contributed to nonprofits and organizations that could not function without their wealth. See, I don't think this is about the wealth. This is about the deception. This is about the snare. This is about the desire, right? It's not the, it's not the money that's the root of all evil. It is the love of money. It's loving something that isn't God that causes the problem. And people say that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But I think the truth is power reveals. The more power you have in your position at work, even in a status of family, it reveals who you really are. Are you going to be a tyrant Right? Have you all had those bosses? It's the manager of a tire store, and he thinks he's Genghis Khan, right? He, he thinks that he is there to bring, you know, I don't know. It's like, dude, it's a tire store. You lighten up, right? But, man, he's running it as if it was the Imperial Army or something. I think the same thing is true with wealth. I think what happens is it reveals If you have a lot, it reveals by what you do with it. And I wonder then how it's being revealed in my life. I've shared with you guys before my Amazon Prime addiction, right? And it's not like big things. It's little things. And I'm just confessing to you guys. I got this little thing, and it was meant to clean your phone screen. It's this surgically applied thing, and it's a little roller, and you roll it on your screen, and it does an amazing job. Why did I need that? I look at it every day in my drawer, and I think, it's sin. (laughs) I do. It's just that it was not a good decision to spend $5 on this thing. I'm not going to throw it away. Because it's good, it works, but I didn't need it. And, and now I'm having to check, right, before I buy that. That looks so cool. It's this little $5 doohickey, and I just just say no. Just say no to doohickeys, right? It's just my, my new theme of life. It's just, why, it's not big, 
but it's a problem. And again, it's not like I spent thousands of dollars on this stuff. But it's a problem because I don't need it. And it's not something that's really going to spark joy in my life. Some of you Maria Kondo fans there. But my closet now sparks joy in my life, just to let you know. I just want to have this conversation with you and with God. I want to close in Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, we are talking about idolatry. We are talking about something other than God that becomes what we serve. And you have to ask if you're serving the almighty dollar or not. If you are pursuing God's intention and kingdom or the American dream and intention, you have to answer those questions in your life, just like I do. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat, drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single cubit or single hour to your life? And why do you worry about Clothes. See the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Remember, righteousness means his justice. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is such a beautiful way of Jesus telling us to trust. This is such a powerful way of God checking our hearts and saying, what are you living for? The pagans, they worry about all these things. Those who have no concept of God are just living in a material world and that's all it is. But that's not who you are. You believe that God is there. Don't you believe he will care for you? Don't you trust that he will take care of your needs? If he will take care of your needs, oh man, what could I do if I had a surplus? What could I do if I had a lot? And by the way, everyone here has a lot. I've been to other places where they do not have a lot. 
right? I have been into the places in Mexico and the colonies. I have been to Haiti where a family of five gets to church on one motorcycle. And they look good doing it. What if I have a car that can seat, well, legally, five? Well, if that guy can get five people on a motorcycle, I could get five people in my car and I could take them to whatever they need taken to. You need to go to the dentist? Hey, let's go. Oh, you need to get down to Social Security office? Hey, let's go. You need to get to your AA meeting? Let's go. You need to get to church? Let's go. What would happen if I saw myself as having a surplus because God will take care of all my needs? What could I do if I believed that God would take care of my needs? Then, man, I could give away more because God would just take care of what I have. It would change my whole concept. I would actually be a person who contributed and gave more than a person who was just trying to receive. It would change my mentality This is what we're called to be. This is who we're called to be. We're supposed to live in the surplus of what God has for us. Oh, my God. Literally, oh, my God. Forgive me for not living in the surplus of who you are in my life. Oh, my God. Help me to seek first your kingdom. And your justice and trust you for the rest. Not to live, oh, I got to get this and have my stuff and then I'll let God use whatever is left. Oh my God, how could we change the world if we lived this way? That's the conversation he's having with us today. Let's pray. Lord, you are always speaking. You are always challenging. You are always pulling us to more. You are always encouraging us to live our life in purpose with what you've created mankind to be. And and Lord, I pray that you would speak into our lives in what ways we need to hear your voice. God, There are some here who are so generous, Lord, and are so living this, and you are so smiling and pleased with them. And then there's some of us, Lord, that really need to step up our lives and our game and in these areas, and you're speaking to us in a different way. But speak, God. And may we hear, and more than just hear, may we respond. We we don't want to be people who look in a mirror and forget. We need to look and see who we really are. And we need to address it. My name is Sam, and I'm a consumer. My name is Sam, and I need to become a person who gives to the kingdom and seeks first the kingdom and desires the kingdom to show up in every part of my life. Lord, I pray for this small community to continue to live in lives that honor you. We thank you for your faithfulness, your promise, Lord, not to make us rich, but to meet the needs. And so from 
our place of need, may we be generous, knowing that you will be generous as well. Thank you again, God, for your encouragement. And I pray that is what it is to all of us. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. Before us is going to be an opportunity to give towards a work that's being done in Haiti. There is a lot, as we mentioned before, of need that is there, a lot of turmoil that is there. There are some of the places that, uh, for a reason, has partnered with that are struggling to make ends meet. And the costs keep going up, but the money keeps dwindling. And so we're going to have an opportunity, and we'll let you know in the weeks to come of how we can give and what's needed so that we can step into this. We're going to do this as we kind of put the thoughts together. I didn't want to just throw this out to you and pressure you because, you know, here's a talk about, you know, giving more. Now here's your chance to give more. This has to be something that actually is a part of who we are that we engage in. And so we'll let you guys know about that as time comes on. You guys have been incredible and generous in the past. And I trust God will still move our hearts to do the same in the future. And I'm so thankful for you. And I hope that everything I shared with you today does not come across as me trying to scold or spank you guys. I just want to encourage us to be all that God wants us to be, live for his kingdom and see God work and provide and do what we can only imagine. And may you seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. May God supply all your needs. And may generosity flow from the abundance of who God is in your life. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Thank you guys again for being here. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.